on today's show, Alberta's Privacy Commissioner concerned that TELUS's health app ignores some privacy laws in our province. The situation with China just goes from bad to worse. Michael Spavor sentenced to 11 years in prison for espionage. And Alberta Senator Doug Black has announced he's retiring from the Senate. Alberta's Privacy Commissioner has some pretty serious concerns about the TELUS Health app, which is called Babylon, and it's in use by Alberta Health Services in a number of different ways. Um, But our Privacy Commissioner says it violates both the Health Information Act in Alberta and the Personal Information Act. So uh, let's get to the bottom of this. Exactly what is this app? What's it being used for? And where are the problems? Joining us is Jill Clayton, Alberta's Privacy Commissioner. Um, Ms. Clayton, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Oh, absolutely happy to be here. Thank you, Shay. So a little clarity around this app. I mean, we all, it's the Babylon TELUS Health app, but how is it being used in Alberta and what's it called in Alberta? Okay. Uh, well, when we started our investigation, it was called the, the uh, Babylon um, by TELUS Health app. So it's, it's an app that provides a, a lot of different functionality. So um, it's quite a, a complex app, if you, if you will. Um, so under the health sector or in, in the health sector, basically individuals are able to go online and have an online consultation with a physician. Um, so a virtual, a virtual consultation. Okay. And then in, go ahead. Sorry, Shay. So basically you can, it, it's basically it's a virtual check-in with a doctor, right? You don't, it, it's, it's kind of, and it was obviously very helpful during the pandemic. Exactly. Exactly. And to be clear, I'm, I am supportive of um, virtual virtual care applications and technology solutions. We've seen, um, obviously, a a huge explosion in um, implementation of these kinds of technologies over the last year and a half, and and we've reviewed and accepted PIAs for lots of them. Um, But this one we do have some concerns around. We had uh, done this investigation. Uh, We looked at the delivery of these services in the health sector by physicians. Um, The other functionality of the app is that you can go on, you can create your own personalized account, and you can use um, sort of artificial intelligence or AI-generated um, uh, functions. So you can use the symptom checker, which is a, a you enter information about um, any symptoms that you're experiencing, and you'll get some non-medical uh, general advice, for example. So there's, there's other fu- that sort of functionality also that is in the private sector. And one of the interesting things about the investigation was um, because it is such a complex app delivering a lot of different um, services, uh, just to figure out what laws applied and what was happening in each, um, in both the private sector and in the, in the health sector. Okay. Now, as you mentioned, some problems with a couple of areas when it comes to privacy legislation in Alberta. Um, let's just go through it. Where, where, where do you see the major problems? What, what's the most concerning to you? Well, the, the major problem, I'll, I'll go back to the health sector in particular. So um, in the health sector in Alberta, um, physicians who are delivering healthcare and other healthcare providers that are custodians under the legislation have to follow the Health Information Act. And the Health Information Act provides rules for how health information is collected and used and disclosed and also makes the custodians, the, the health provider, um, ultimately responsible for what happens to, um, to Albertans' health information. So there are certain agreements that have to be in place. There are certain policies and procedures that have to be in place. And all of that infrastructure that a, a physician is responsible for is, is there to ensure that Albertans know that their health information is being protected. So um, in, in this case, we 
took a look at what was going on and we found that of the five or six issues that we investigated in the health sector, we found that the physician custodians, who are the ones that have responsibilities under the legislation, um, had not met those requirements under the Act. And I will, I have to say, I want to say that a lot of changes have been made. Yeah. I know yeah. we've seen some improved policies and procedures and, and that kind of thing. But there is a, a remaining outstanding issue, which has to do with when you go to book that appointment with your physician for a, a publicly paid um, health care service, you are required to verify your identity. Right. And the app is using a facial recognition technology. So you are required to upload um, a copy of your government-issued ID to the app. You're also required to upload a copy of, well, a selfie photograph of yourself. And then technology behind the scenes is matching and verifying your identity. And the reason that that is an issue is because under the Health Information Act, a doctor, say, who is providing services, is limited in what information they can collect. It has to be what is essential to provide the health care service or to meet the, hus- the custodian's purpose. If their purpose is to um, verify your identity, then there are lots and lots of other ways of doing that without requiring an individual to provide a, a copy of government-issued ID. And so that's, then, that's our main concern. There. And then, of course, the question is, where does that information go? What limits are put into where all that information ultimately ends up? And that, as you were saying, that that that's basically what the issue is here, especially when it comes to your health information. Um, well, exactly. And and it, again, it's a complicated app. I mean, most most apps are, but this one has lots of functionality. As I say, it's, it's sort of sort of a private sector app, the kind of thing you would see in the private sector, but it's being used to deliver a, a public sector health product. Um, so, and I think that's where some of the the, uh, the challenges come in. Um, but it is a complicated app, and there are you know more than twenty different service providers who have been engaged that are doing various um, various things behind the scenes, including verifying identity. Mm-hmm. And some of those service providers are not in Canada; um, they're in Ireland, they're in the United States, um, they're in the United Kingdom. And so, um, with respect to verifying identity, um, that's where information is going. Um, It might not be retained, that copy of the government ID. We're not clear exactly how long that information is retained. Um, Not permanently is what we're told. But again, it is is going there, and individuals don't know that. Don't know, yeah. Yeah, that was another problem in in the private sector investigation that we did. Because again, the same technology is there, but for um, booking appointments with... um, with mental health counselors or with dietitians, and so that's not covered under Alberta's Health Information Act, but it's covered under our Personal Information Protection Act. So in the private sector, um, and again, information is is leaving the country to have your identity verified, and the requirement in the private sector is to be absolutely transparent and open about what is happening. Um, with personal information. Individuals should know what information is being collected about them and what it's being used for, and they should have information about out-of-country service providers. When Global News reached out to the people behind this app, I was kind of surprised by their response, and I just want to read something for you and get your, your take on it, because, you know, I read your report, and it seemed pretty clear to me, but the Babylon app spokesperson responded by saying, we are pleased the report, your report they're talking about here, found mm-hmm. that Babylon's overall use and disclosure of patients' personal information to be reasonable, and then they went on to say that your findings go against globally accepted standards, what they call the gold standards. Now, they're getting a much different take from this report than you're giving us now. So where's that disconnect? Yeah, that that is it's interesting, isn't it? Um, well, what I will say is that, um, again, we did two reports, one in the health sector and one in the private sector. 
we looked at a number of different issues. One of the issues we looked at in the private sector had to do with whether or not overall they have reasonable purposes and collect information to a reasonable extent. And we did find that, yes, that was the case, but we had outstanding issues around over-collecting information through use of this facial recognition technology. We also found um, significant concerns with, again, the lack of clarity and transparency around use of that technology. And generally, for anybody who's using the app, trying to understand what information is being collected and how it's going to work. So, you know, the reports are more nuanced than Mm -hmm. just um, generally found this. So we did find um, compliance issues and some changes have been made in the private sector, but we have outstanding issues there. In the health sector, we looked at five or six different issues and we found that the physician custodians did not comply with Alberta's law in any of those cases, not for any of those issues. Again, changes have been made, so presumably it's a little bit better. We will look at the changes that have been made and review them against the standards of our our Alberta legislation. Um, But again, there remain outstanding issues where it needs to be essential for the custodian's purpose, whether it's verifying eligibility for health services or delivering health services. And as far as I'm concerned, in my view, they most definitely did not meet that standard. Um, I know I've seen that statement that our findings go against global uh, global standards. standards. Um, To be honest, I don't know what global standards they are referring to. Um, And in any event, it's not my job to enforce compliance with global standards. It's my job to oversee and enforce compliance with Alberta's laws. So that includes the Health Information Act and and the Personal Information Protection Act. That makes perfect sense to me. Uh, Ms. Clayton, thanks so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. That is Jill Clayton, who is Alberta's Privacy Commissioner. And um, yeah, as she said, some some concerns um, with this. But she did say, and uh, you know, as she mentioned, there have been some changes made already. So it seems uh, at least the, the app operators are um, open to change and they're receptive to the information that they're receiving from the Privacy Commissioner. And as she said, she'll follow up and see if these changes manage to handle what they need to do. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, really looking forward to this next discussion. We've talked a lot about China this week and over the course of several weeks here on the show. And when it comes to discussing China and what really goes on there and what the lay of the land is and what's going on in reality, there's there's one guest that I want to reach out to every time, and that's Gordon Holden. He is a professor at um, and a, the director emeritus of the China Institute at the University of Alberta. He worked for several years for the Canadian Foreign Service in China. He studied in China um, he is the voice on China, in my mind, and I'm delighted that he could join us this morning. Um, Professor Holden, thank you so much for your time once again. Always delight. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Okay, uh, we've got a lot to get to here. First of all, sure. um, I don't think... Let's just talk with the two verdicts that have happened this week, with uh, Schellenberg's death sentence being upheld and Spavor getting 11 years today. Not a surprise to anybody, right? I think this was fully expected, and this is what we thought would play out. It wasn't a surprise, and in fact... Even the timing was not a surprise. It was pretty transparently linked to the Meng Wanzhou court case, uh, the woman that's been detained and 
in, in, in Vancouver, although she's actually in, in under more or less house arrest. The timing uh, as well wasn't a surprise. And the, the outcome, uh, perhaps there's a little bit of a question how long uh, Michael Spavor would get, but uh, uh, that, they, that he's been sentenced and that the um, death penalty is confirmed from Mr. Schellenberg. This was predictable. Uh, there was no possibility of a different outcome as long as Mungo and Joe is, is still in Canada. What The question I have is, what does China think the end game here is? I mean, I, I think Canada's been pretty clear and pretty steadfast in the fact that we can't just throw Meng Wanzhou back to you. We're, we're, we're a country of laws, and we're going to abide by those laws. China doesn't seem to care, though. They just continue with this tactics that they're playing. I, I think they, they may care a bit, but not nearly as much as they care about getting Meng Wanzhou back. In other words, it, I mean, if all things are equal, there's some tiny thing. Yes, they like to be popular, they like to be liked. But when it comes to someone really important, one of the elite of China, uh, connected to the most successful uh, Chinese company abroad, yeah. Huawei, that's what they really care about. That's their bottom line. The rest of it is, um, is really secondary. So when we see, you know, um, Mark Garneau and Justin Trudeau come out with their statements this morning saying that this is completely unjust and blah, China doesn't care, right? I mean, they've said that before and it's had absolutely no impact. They don't care that much. The one thing I took from Mr. Garneau's statement, which I think is interesting, is when he says that, that discussions are undergoing and are intense. Now, if those discussions are just Canada, the United States, Canada trying to get the United States to help us, yeah. that's one thing. That's been going on for, for over two years. If... The discussions are between Washington and Beijing and are intense. That gives me more hope because at the end of the day, again, the China really doesn't care about our court system. They don't care that much about this, uh, if at all, about Kovac and Spavor. They really want Meng Wanzhou back. And that's the, the hook. And the Americans are the ones who have the clout, perhaps, to get that done. I hope that's underway and I hope that succeeds. So you've advised government officials for decades on dealings with China. What would you be telling them at this point? Get her to the U.S. fast and tell the U.S. to deal with her and get her back? I mean, what, what is the possible, what can Canadian officials do? They keep saying we're going to work, you know, tirelessly until we can, you know, get their, their release. Well, how do you do that? What would you be doing? Well, unfortunately, I think the, the obvious things have been tried and haven't succeeded. We don't have the leverage. We don't have the lever to push the Chinese to do it. The one card we have that matters uh, is uh, an American ally, uh, which is sympathetic to our position. The Chinese do care about the United States. They, they do not want a, a Cold War. They want stability. They want trade. Uh, they want an improved relationship with the United States for their own interests, for their own interests. And if this is one of the impediments, they may well be willing to deal. I don't think given it's almost an advantage in a way they don't care about Kovac and Spavor. It's not like these two people they really want to hang on to. Yeah. They're just punishing us. So if they really cared about them, it might be tougher. But at some point, there's going to be a deal made, I hope, sooner I hope than later, that uh, deals with her case but frees our two Canadians and our Albertan Spavor. So the situation, as you said, this all is happening just as the Mung case is in court in Vancouver and the extradition hearing is underway. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. My my take on that is that's a carrot that's being dangled and his outcome will depend solely on what happens with the Mung case. Do I have that right? Would you agree? I think that's very likely. Of course, it's a black box, the Chinese top party official. You can't no, with certainty, but to me, that is a reasonable assumption. They could have done a twofer and done them both at once, 
Uh, but they want, of course, they also want to demonstrate the two different courts, one in Dandong, one in Beijing. Uh, they're not linked. Um, but they are ready for sure to deal with COVID. And the sentence will be probably set by what happens in Vancouver. Uh, I'm sure there's a blank on the sentence until they see what happens in Vancouver, and then they'll fill in that blank. So, what, again, it'll be a party official who determines what will be his sentence, not the judge. You know, Gordon, you're making a point that I think we need to understand as Canadians. Um, it's entirely dictated by the Chinese government. They will determine what happens here. I mean, this whole legal thing is is a farce. Um, you're saying it's it's completely dictated by the government. Anytime there's a political dimension, and that's for spades true here, that's the case. Now, there's thousands of cases every day, and China's 20% of the world's population. If you're there for drunk driving, uh, for, for theft, or... Uh, or a um, uh, minor incident, the courts will just grind on. I don't think the party will pay much attention at all. But as soon as there's a political dimension, the decision shifts into the party structure and will be made there, irrespective of what the court is thinks, irrespective of what the evidence is. And that's the unfortunate case with R2. And the case of Schellenberg, I have no idea about his guilt or innocence, but the sentencing, again, uh, was up from yeah. 15 years to death penalty right after the arrest of, of Wong. So again, there's no doubt that was a party official phoning someone and saying, um, whoops, there's change here, appeal denied, death penalty. So that's the problem. Any political dimension, any pretense of rule of law goes out the window. Uh, a lot of people are wondering, you know, in terms of safety of Canadians, and we're talking about the Beijing Olympics and things like that, if they're showing that they have absolutely no respect for any international norms or laws or anything like that, if you're a Canadian in China right now and this Hmong thing goes the wrong way, are you at risk? That's an impossible question to answer with certainty. Right now in Hong Kong, we've got 300,000 Canadians and maybe another 50,000 living and working in, in, on the mainland. So there's a lot of potential folks there. The one thing that gives me a little bit of hope, I don't think this has worked out quite the way they thought. I honestly believe that the party officials thought, we'll roll up the, the two Michaels and they'll spring Hmong. I mean, they, they have trouble understanding that we actually do have rule of law. Yeah, that it's yeah. not just that the prime minister or the premier can't just phone up the judge and get it fixed. So what hasn't happened, fortunately, I don't want to give me ideas, what we haven't seen in two and a half years is them detain more people. That tells me they may dimly be aware now that this isn't working for them. And given we've got so many Canadians there at all times, I would say this, though. If you're going to China, be scrupulous. Let's not give them any excuses. Um, if I were able to go to China, which I can't now, um, I would go. But I'm not saying that people should not be concerned, particularly if this is, is repeated in some fashion. You don't want to be the third Michael. Exactly. Yeah, no doubt. Um, question, as somebody who's, I mean, you basically have experience with this going back to the mid-70s. So I'm wondering, it seems to me like it's it's escalating and it's hastening and things are happening quicker and quicker. And we're hearing more and more stories about the influence that China is exerting. I know they play a long game in China, but do I have that right? Are things, are they becoming more brazen, more aggressive and more immune to any sort of diplomatic pressure from anywhere around the world. You look at Australia, I mean, there was 25 diplomats there this morning from other countries around the world, and it's like, well, who cares? We're going to do what we're going to do. Yeah. Well, I think there's two points. One is, I think under President Xi Jinping, uh, who's been in power since 2013, there has been an escalation in the use of Chinese power. But I think it's more than that. 
I think the big difference is that China had a strategy under Deng Xiaoping, hide your strength, bide your time. Well, their time's arrived now. Uh, they will not be pushed around by anybody. That includes the United States, but certainly not by smaller countries. And they're less and less afraid to flex their muscles. And I don't think that's finished yet. I think that their net strength is increasing. I mean, it's possible for you to imagine a world where Chinese economy could be double the size of the U.S. economy in another 20 or 30 years. So I think we're in for a very interesting ride, tough ride, with rising Chinese power, greater willingness on the part of China to exercise that power. So I've often said here, you know, we have to understand where we fit in terms of, you know, the global stage. And Canada is a bit player. Um, but like you say, the United States is involved. Australia, do we... Is there an appetite to get these Western democracies? Because that, like you say, China isn't going to deal, and they don't even care about the U.S. at this point. Isn't it going to take much of the world united in defense? I mean, it seems to me we're at a perilous time when it comes to China's influence. Is this something that's ringing alarm bells in the halls of power around the world? I think it's ringing alarm bells in the, in the halls of the Western allies. The reality is, and this is something that may surprise many, China is more popular in the third world, most of the third world, the exception of India and a couple others, than is the United States. But for Western Europe, for many European countries, certainly Australia, New Zealand, Canada, U.S., uh, there's deep concern about the rise of China and the effect it's having on global institutions and the prospects for this century. Uh, but it's not universal. And at this point, though, China does not want war. They don't want a cold war. They are one saving grace, perhaps, is they live by trade. Mm -hmm. uh, the number one trading partner for most of the world. Uh, they want that stability. But at the same time, they want to call a lot of the shots. The way they think, and America's done since World War II, they want to be America's counterpart of equal influence, equal importance. And that creates a lot of tensions. It does. And uh, unfortunately, Canada is sort of stuck between the two giants right now when it comes to the two Michaels and all the rest of this stuff. And, uh, pretty much helpless. Well, there's there's things we can do, but there's not things we can do that bring them quickly. We've seen that. They've been working for almost two years getting diplomats to round up coalitions of countries that support us. The only one, I think, that has the clout to make the needle move is the United States. Europe's not united. Um, I mean, really, Australia, New Zealand, and even Great Britain, China, uh, doesn't even blink. The U.S. matters to them still. They're still, they're military superior, they're powerful, they're still more powerful in many ways than is, is China. They sit up and listen. So we've had American diplomats, Canadian diplomats, apart from the ones already posted there, we can't send high-level representatives to Beijing right now. It's all frozen. Mm. America's still sending senior people. Uh, there's someone there in Tianjin last week. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken was in Japan uh, talking about China with, with their regional allies and meeting with his Chinese counterpart. So there are there are ways. Americans keep telling us they're raising their case, which I think they are. But they've got a lot of, of bones to pick with China, not just the two Michaels. So I think it's a bit of an illusion to think that's all they talk about. They have their many, many issues. South China Sea, trade issues, you name it. Um, Michaels are one of them. Just one of them. Yeah, that they'll get to if they have time. Yep. Okay. Uh, Gordon, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. You bet. Uh, that is Gordon Holden, who is the Director Emeritus of the China Institute and Professor of Political Science 
at the University of Alberta. Uh, as I said, he, he's been working in China with the Canadian Foreign Service since 1976. He is the one who speaks to politicians uh, involved on the China file about, uh, you know, the background and the history. He's, he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to China, so I'm delighted that we could get his insight. Right now, though, I want to chat with uh, a great guy. I've always enjoyed our conversation. Senator Doug Black joining us. Senator, thanks so much for your time well, today. Well, Shay, great to hear your voice. How are you today? <laughs> I'm very well, sir. Very well. Well, a little saddened to hear that you uh, have announced you're, you're retiring from the Canadian Senate. You're, you're a young man, Senator. You're not up against that I, mandatory I retirement age. young man. You've got it. I'm a young 69. But, <laughs> Shay, thanks for saying that. But as Albertans know, when they elected me, I committed to a term limit. And I never said how long, because you never, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to. What kind of a term limit is that? Well, yeah, well, but I I said, I think, you know, between nine and 11 years, I thought was reasonable. And I feel I have, I've worked as hard as I possibly can on behalf of Albertans. I'm proud of the work I have done but it's now time for somebody else to have that opportunity to have that privilege. Okay, fair enough. A um, couple of things I want to talk to. First of all, do you have any thoughts on this China thing? This, I haven't heard the conversation that you, you guys have been into today. But you know the story, though, obviously. Oh, I know the story. Oh, I know the story very, very well. And I must say, I must acknowledge that the China... I will call it the China Institute. I don't think that's the correct word. But the University of Alberta, the China Institute, have been extraordinarily helpful to yeah, me. Yeah, we had Gordon Holden on the air this morning. He's he's oh he's amazing. Goodness. They have been so helpful to me to try and understand these issues. And at the end of the day, uh, my view is as follows: China is a bully. Uh, you have to stand up to a bully. Mm-hmm. Maybe the bully's bigger, maybe the bully's stronger, maybe the bully's smarter. I don't know, but I do know, I mean, I went to pretty rough schools in Calgary growing up. The day the bully thinks he has you, he has you. You cannot give in. So I don't presume to have the answers, but I just am appalled. I am appalled at how we appear to be so passive on this matter. Now we see... One of our um, nationals has been sentenced to prison for 14 years. Yeah, and another one sentenced to death. It, and I agree with I you. Just, I, I think, you know, we're like the kid on the schoolyard that just keeps getting punched in the mouth every day. Sooner or later, you got to push back. Even if you know it might lead to a worse beating, you gotta, you got to stand up for yourself at some point, right? That's my view. And I go back, <laughs> I go back to grade 7 at Melville Scott Junior High School, and <laughs> I was there. There is no doubt. And one day I just, oh, actually, my mom said, Doug, stand up. Got it. So, so Doug stood up, and you know what? It ended. It stopped exactly. I I'm know. just telling you. I'm not quite sure how. But, but we both said we ended. don't have the answers, and I think that's we we need to point that out as well. But it, it's just what we're doing isn't working. It is absolutely not working at all. And I mean, I could go on. I'm not going to because I'll get into trouble. <laughs> but the reality is that I don't think we're playing a smart hand here. I don't presume to know what the hand is because it's not my file, mm-hmm. but how's that working out yeah, for exactly. us? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the proof just, is in the pudding, right? Uh, just, just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Um, 
Another issue, of course, that's on the minds of Albertans right now, especially our Premier, is this electing senators. And you, you were bet. an elected senator, a senator in waiting, and then you went through the process and were appointed. You we're, betcha. We're back to and that I'm again. I'm really proud of that. I have to tell you, Cher, I am really proud of that. So, obviously, you're somebody who supports um, electing senators in waiting, as you were deemed. Um, Strongly. And still, uh, after the uh, 10 or 11 years? Absolutely. Absolutely, because I see the difference it makes. I see the legitimacy that it gives to a senator. I see the reaction you get. I see the uh, fact that people put their trust in you in Alberta, the people that people uh, respond to you. They know who you are. You're not invisible, right? It's fa- it is the way we should go. And then, in my own view, it would cause the Senate to actually be truly independent because people would recognize they're not beholden to the prime minister that appointed them. They're beholden to the people who elected them. And I felt that every day, and I've acted that way every day. You, as I've told you before personally, um, you know, I've been in this business a long time now, going on 30 years, and I've interviewed two senators over that time, uh, Paula Simons Mm -hmm. once most recently, but you many, many times. You've taken Mm -hmm. a different approach to the Senate. Um, Did it have, did it, what did your colleagues think of the way you went about the business of being a Senate? Because a lot of these people, you don't even know who they are or what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, have, well, has, has, has it caught on? Well, you'd, ha- you'd have to ask them what they think. But there is no doubt I follow a different model. There's yeah. absolutely no doubt. I have visited over 50 communities in this province, many of them a number of times. I've met tens of thousands of Albertans. I've met with hundreds of organizations. I'm going to Lethbridge and Southern Alberta tomorrow for the next two days to learn about the drought issues and the irrigation issues down there. Uh, I took my responsibility. Albertan said, Doug, we want you to be our voice. We trust you. I'm returning that every day. I return that trying to uh, show Albertans that an elected Senate works and that I respect the trust they put in me. So I I don't think there's many senators follow the path I follow. Is, is maybe the best way to leave it. And I'm not judging. Yeah, you know, no, I'm not judging. I understand. Each to their own. I'm elected. You know, just under 500,000 people said, Doug, go get her done for us. So I can't get it done sitting in my basement in southern Alberta, right? Yeah, I know. A lo- I think a lot of senators see it as you're just in that upper chamber and something gets passed along your desk and you give it the rubber stamp and off you go and there's not really a lot of thought or work or critiquing that goes into it. You've actually spearheaded a lot of things and that's what we've talked about over the years. So yep. w- when you look back, what are the accomplishments you're proudest of? Well, thank you for asking me that. I mean, I'm the first Albertan, maybe the first Westerner to have ever chaired the Banking Committee, which is a very important committee in the Senate. And I was ve- I'm very concerned, I continue to be concerned about the lack of free trade in Canada. So we studied it. I'm concerned about the fact that we're lagging in open banking in Canada. So we studied it. I think we need an infrastructure corridor in Canada. Uh, so we studied it and did brilliant work, and I'm proud of that work. And because it benefits Canada and it benefits Alberta. In the chamber, uh, there's any number of times I intervened on various matters, but the work that I think that I am most widely known for is, unfortunately, from my point of view, because I I kind of view myself as a conciliator, I don't know that many people in Ottawa would view me that way. I mean, I, I had to fight very, very, very hard on behalf of Albertan 
in terms of three or four pieces of legislation that were put forward that passed, uh, to my disappointment, which are prejudicial to this province. Simply put, they're prejudicial to the province, to our economy, and to our people. And I had no choice but to fight and to fight hard on the so-called no pipelines bill, the tanker ban, the only tanker ban in the world aimed directly at ensuring that oil from Fort Mac can't get to the coast. There's, there's no other. Everybody understands that's the agenda there. Small business tax. Small business folks in uh, the listening audience today will remember that the government came up with really quite draconian proposals to tax small business, really to squeeze more juice from a lemon. I fought hard. We were successful there. We managed the government. Minister Mono pulled back almost completely. So I'm proud of that. But man, oh man, you need to have body armor <laughs> when you get down there. Um, and because I put on a little bit of weight, that's even getting tight, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You're not a guy who slows down. I know I that. Uh, you, you're, you're always on the go. So what happens now, now that you're no longer a senator after Halloween? What's the plan? Well, listen, I don't have a, a definite plan, but I have a general plan. The issues that really drive me, drove me to run for Senate, are unresolved. I, you know, I created the, the concept around Alberta 2.0 uh, before I went to the Senate, and that's building a more diverse economy to ensure that we can continue to prosper as we have had. Uh, work to be done there, but progress is clearly being made. You look at the startup the startups that are happening in Edmonton. Yep. You look at the hydrogen economy. You look at what's happening with agriculture, with the Health City Initiative, with AI at the University of Alberta. It's unbelievable stuff. But I think I have the platform to help push that, you know, push that. So I'm going to do that. And I don't know how I'm going to do that and what form, but I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm also very concerned that we're not attracting people to the province the way we should, but more importantly, we're losing some of the people we shouldn't be losing. And so I've convened a number of roundtables to try and understand why that is. And there's something to be done there. So I'll figure that out. And then, you know, I've shared with people that when I started this, there was Linny, my wife and I, and our daughter, Sarah, and our son, Ian. But now I'm blessed with a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law and five grandchildren. So I would like to spend a bit of more time. I mean, it sounds trite, but I want to know my grandchildren yeah, sure. as they're growing up. And current configuration, I will know the flight attendants on Air Canada better than I know my grandchildren. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, whatever <laughs> comes next, you know the door is always open to my studio. Shane, I always Shane, uh, enjoy a thank chat. Thank you. Thank you, and please, I like visiting with you, but it's so important because through you, I can communicate with thousands of yep. whom I view to be my constituents. And through you, I just want to say to each and every one of them, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support to me. Uh, I hope I haven't let you down, and I'll continue to do what I think is necessary for Alberta. Senator Doug Black, thank you for being, well, my voice in the Senate, the only one I've ever talked to, and I appreciate that. And (laughs) we'll uh, we'll talk again, sir. Thank you very much. I'm going away. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Senator Doug Black, uh, Senator from Alberta, announcing this morning that he is retiring from the Senate. Uh, Six years early, he could stick around till that mandatory retirement age of 75, but he's chosen not to. Um, And yeah, he was one of the elected senators. When we were doing that last time around, he was elected. And uh, now that doesn't mean you become a senator. You still have to be appointed by the prime minister of the day. Um, And he was. So uh, we'll see. We know we have that situation going on again where you're going to be asked to elect senators coming up this fall. 
the government also putting a, a question, a referendum question, uh, in terms of should that be what we do in Alberta? Um, but Karen Sorensen, the mayor of Banff, was appointed a senator by the prime minister a couple of weeks back, sort of chopping that whole plan off at the knees. So it's going to be an ongoing battle. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.